Good evening, Coke fiends. You're listening to Cocaine Willie. Tonight, we're going to be reviewing the slobber knocker of a game for the Cats against Iowa State. And we have the one and only Grant Flanders from K-State Online and On3 to join us to talk some K-State hoops and preview Coach Jerome Tang's inaugural season as the man at the helm for the K-State men's basketball fighting Wildcats. As always, I've got my boys, the good chef and Fireball Matt, joining me. Dude, I'm better than ever. Can you hear me out there? I sure can. I sure can. And and uh, Fireball Matt, dude, you uh, Fireball, you Fireball, pred- Fireball Matt. You predicted it before the game. You said if you if you took your two Fireball shots, that the Cats would would come out with dubs. So you predicted that, and it came true. How does it feel knowing that you are the guy that that got the Cats on top? Wow. Um, I'm honored, first off. Um, the second thing, I took way more than two fireball shots. Um, I took probably two in the first about 15 minutes uh, of tailgating. So, um, And then I will say, um, scary or not, Iowa State does not have any security going into the stadium. So you could just smuggle in whatever you wanted. So, Are you serious? Uh, yep. Yeah. Um, wow, no, that's no, dangerous. No metal detectors, nothing. Um, so definitely smuggled in um, a, a bigger fireball shot. You know, they have the they have those mini bottles, but then they have ones that are a little bit bigger than that. And uh, I ended up saving that for the fourth quarter. And apparently that worked. So um, fireball Matt definitely brought the cats a win. A flask of fireball for Just the man. Just an absolute legend. Absolute Stud. legend. And no hangover the next morning. Have to thank the party smart pill that was taken um, about two hours before the game. So no free ads, but yeah. No free ads. No free but, hey, ads. I mean, if if party, party smart or party hardy or whatever the hell that thing is called wants to sponsor us, I mean, we're taking, we're taking sponsors. So I don't have to just do these anchor ads every freaking time we have a show. I don't think those pills work for cocaine, though. So let's. I, mean, uh, I would not know, <laughs> but hmm. Hmm. Well, on that note, we've got a game to review. And, and to be totally frank with the audience, I didn't get a chance to watch the whole game. I was playing a concert in Denver, so I didn't get a chance to watch the thing live. I was re-watching and able to watch, I think, about three quarters of it, but but loosely paying attention. So I'm I'm definitely gonna heavily rely on on these two guys to to carry the the live show on their shoulders for this one. But I mean, let's go around the room, let's go around the horn. Uh, what do y'all have to say about uh, the Iowa State game, I guess, as a whole, and then we can get into individually the the offense, the defense, and special teams. I'll start it off, you know. Man, it was a tough game to watch. You're on the edge of your seat live. Uh, Matt can attest to this. When he was in person, I'm on TV, and it and it's brutal. It was one of the most tightly contested games from start to finish. You know, one possession game the entire way, literally, because I mean, there was only one touchdown scored. So, you know, you're hanging on. It was cardiac cats. But it was, it also felt like we were in control. Defensively, we put our foots down and we got the job done. We did what we had to do. You, you give up so many possessions a game that you expect teams to score points. But when the defense comes out and plays the way they did, 
you, you gave yourself a chance if you're not clicking on all cylinders on offense. And we have to give credit to Iowa State because no matter how little credit they want to give us, their fan base, you got to give credit to their defense. Their defense is legit. It is a legit defense. And we had chances to put up more points than we did, but we didn't get the job done. But you leave with a W, and that's all you can ask for. Matt, what do, what do you think? You were there in person. It's got to be another level. Yeah, I mean, it was a weird game um, to be in person. And I feel like, I mean, for years I've been able and very lucky to go to K-State games. And, you know, this was one that, you know, when you don't have a lot of momentum swings and it's just a lot of blah, you know, it it turns into a fourth quarter where – you know, you just, I don't know, you don't know what to expect. You have no confidence in your team and you also don't have any confidence in the other team to do anything. Um, it was basically kind of watching paint dry. Um, I will say from an offensive perspective, you know, when you look at a 10 to nine score there, the game really could have been 20 to nine, I guess, um, without some mistakes. Um, you know, I felt Adrian obviously had a really good game passing, you know, and getting to our receiver. I thought our receivers were able to get a little bit of space and he was able to throw it into some tight windows and make some good plays. Um, the offensive line continues to boggle me. Um, I know that we've had some injuries on the line and it makes total sense, but the offensive line really <sighs> struggled. And I don't know if that kind of puts it, you know, into perspective, but, you know, we gave up three sacks. Um, obviously, Will McDonald from Iowa State is is a guy who's going to play on Sundays. No, no joke. Um, you can tell that he has the ability to, to make an impact. Um, I would not be surprised to see him, you know, starting for an NFL team at some point. But the offensive line just wasn't providing, you know, the time that Adrian Martinez needs uh, to to make a play, um, whether it be, um, you know, just getting some time to throw the football or providing some running lanes for Deuce or, or Adrian or DJ Giddens, the offensive line is going to have to improve steadfast in the next couple weeks, or we're going to see issues with TCU. We're going to see issues with Oklahoma state. Um, and we're going to hope that if they don't improve our skill players have the capability to, to do what they need to do. Um, overall, I, I obviously wished for a game where we just completely whooped their ass and I know we didn't, but to leave Ames with a win in a game that I knew was going to be close, not necessarily 10 to nine, but you know, I was very happy to be able to leave that stadium and, and with a smile on my face. I will, I, I want to say this. I mean, I know we're going to get into some position groups later, but I, I took, Maybe even just to per, to give a little foreshadowing for what we're going to say with the offensive line, I have a totally different perspective on that. I will give some pushback to the offensive line, not necessarily slander, but I don't think they played nearly as bad as um, some would say. Not not saying you guys have, but the offensive line didn't perform to the elite level that we thought they could, but they weren't nearly as bad as a lot of people thought they were. There was some miscommunication on a slide protection for the rollout that it was basically the exact same play that Adrian hit Malik Knowles on that that 
was a touchdown but wasn't a touchdown at the same time. It was just a miscommunication. They stunted to the right. We slid to our right. So it just was a totally weird circumstance where we let Will McDonald go up the middle. And the other one, I mean, Will Mc, not Will McDonald, but um, what's, the, what's the kid that you were just saying? He was He's elite, but he beat KT Levison off the edge. But for the first time watching Adrian Martinez, I didn't see him step up in the pocket nearly as much as he has all season. And a lot of it is they did delay blitzes. They did a lot of stunts, which is what happened in the Tulane game, but it wasn't to the severity of the Tulane game. I I just, I, they had movement. That was 134 rushing yards against an Iowa state defense that I think they gave up like 80 the entire season. I think we we the O line played as well as you could imagine against a defense that has a say in the matter. They're they're no pushover, so they're going to they're going to give you everything that they've got. And I think we the O line played admirably um, for what for the situation that they were put in. I'm not going to disagree with you because I do think Iowa State's defense is one of the tops in the Big Twelve, and we've seen it all season. They don't give up a ton of points. Um, they do give up some yards, but nothing crazy. Um, I definitely I look at where the offensive line probably needs to be for the rest of the season to keep us in the running for the Big 12 championship game. And we're going to just we we are going to have to see improvement from that unit. Despite Iowa State, they have a good defensive line. They have good defensive players. Yeah. Um, but just needing to provide us a little bit more, you know, time to, to and make I those think, plays. I think what will really help help and what has happened to the O line is if you look at from the Tulane game, really the Oklahoma game to now, there's been zero rotation, zero line gang being out really crippled us. Taylor Porte going down, obviously, it just was hit after hit after hit to where you're not getting the depth on the O-line where you can rotate and get some of these guys breaks. Cause that's usually where, especially for O-linemen when stuff starts to break down is when guys are tired, when guys are not communicating because, and if, and, and to give Colin Klein a little bit of, I mean, it's a give or take. We, when you speed up these O-linemen, they're, they're the big boys. So, when you're speeding up and you're going quick, you saw it multiple times in the Iowa State game. They wanted to go quick on these short thirds downs, and it wasn't successful because I think our O-line wasn't able to get the push and the communication for these read option plays and these quarterback powers, which take a lot of communication on who's going to the next level, who's who's getting double teamed, and who's shedding on these blocks to create gaps and you just, it just wasn't there because we're trying to go so fast and we're not rotating. So, I mean, I know we went on the O line tangent right there, but I mean, it's, it it wasn't as bad as I think a lot of people are giving it a lot of those sacks, just, I mean, three sacks, realistically, if you're giving up three sacks over a four, four quarter game, that's not bad at all. In my opinion. And, and for whatever it's worth, Martinez was able to um, to throw for 246 yards, which 
correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's a season high for him with passing. Um, or it's at least no, close it is. because he's he been primary. He's been primary. Yeah. He's been primarily rushing the ball when he's been getting his high yardage, high yardage game. So, and, and he did throw for a touchdown, obviously almost through for two. Um, I was, I was straight up, I was doing sound check at the venue and I had my phone out on my pedal board as I was trying to like talk to the sound guy to figure out like why my bass amp sounded like it was farting. Um, and I saw the Malik Knowles play while I was up there doing sound check and, and I had spotty Wi-Fi and wasn't even able to really watch it. So I see him throw the ball, Malik breaks out. And then two seconds later, I see that we didn't have a score. And I'm like, what, what the hell happened here? Um, cause I didn't get to see the actual fumble, but in, in retrospect, looking at that play and I, it's been talked about ad nauseum at this point on other podcasts, but it really was kind of a one in a hundred, one in a thousand type of play by the defender on that. Uh, so you, there's only so much that you can take away from Malik Knowles on that, I think. And, and all credit to the Iowa state defender for, for punching that thing out the way that he did. But I mean, all the advanced stats and everything have indicated that we should have won that game at by at least 20, 20 to nine or, or 20 to seven, something around those, those lines. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'll say a little bit different because I mean, the advanced stats, yes, that was basically a guaranteed touchdown to Malik Knowles. And a lot of, a lot of K-Staters will say the what if like, Oh, it, we should have, Kristen, it should have made that field goal. Oh, Malik Knowles should have made it into the end zone. I mean, and if I was an Iowa state fan, I would say, hell Xavier Hutchinson had a touchdown in the end zone dropped. And he had a drop on fourth down that could have got them into field goal position to win the game. So, I mean, it's it's really – you can't play that what-if game. The game was 10-9. to 9. They got a little bit of tendonitis, if you know what I'm saying. A little pun there for you, a little tendonitis. But, you know, <laughs> they they played the game, and that's what happened. We had some mistakes. They had some mistakes. What real what really needs to be talked about is the defense. That's that was where it was won. The offense did their thing, but the defense is really the star of the show. You know, being at the game and you're hearing, you know, the PA announcer, you know, saying his stuff, but whatever. But, you know, tackle made by Josh Hayes. Josh Hayes, you heard it all throughout. I felt like the first quarter, most of those tackles were Josh Hayes. He was flying on the field and 11 total tackles in the game. And he really was, I mean, the defense just played outstanding. I felt despite Iowa state just not being good offensively. I think we've seen that in multiple games this year, but we saw an elite defense just completely shatter the Ohio or the Iowa state, um, you know, offense and, and Josh Hayes, Austin Moore had a great game. Um, you know, we, we hear these names all the time of guys getting, you know, multi, many tackles in these games, but this is a complete defense and it was a complete team victory on the defensive side on Saturday. I was just really impressed with how they came together and, um, Josh Hayes, man. I mean, and that swagger, you know, what he was wearing, those sunglasses at the end of the game, damn. Just, the, for the, yeah. it was I mean, Bob, can you tell me? This is two straight weeks with K-State being defensive player of the week in the Big 12, right? Khalid Duke was Texas Tech. Yeah, I think so. And, I mean, and it seems like every week there's always an honor for a big a K-Stater in the Big 12 uh, awards that week. The 
the defense, like you said, Matt, Josh Hayes was elite. I don't know how it sounded in the stadium, but he was so physical and violent on his tackles that it, it really he just set the the precedent for how the teams how the team was going to play that game. I mean, Austin Moore diving through tackles. Obviously, Josh Hayes, Kobe Savage, violent on tackles. Daniel Green was even sticking his nose there, and Julius Brents. I mean, standing people up when that the running back was starting to that their little running back started to make a little bit of noise. And then as soon as Julius Brents, I remember this play, he got wrapped up by I think Drake Cheatham and Julius Brents stood him up. And I don't think he came back in the game after that. He was he was so physical. Everybody on that defense was so physical. Felix getting into the backfield, getting a sack, which was huge for that the last possession for Iowa State to stop their momentum, to try to make sure that they don't get any points going into halftime. It was an all-around great performance. We held them to lows in almost every category through the season. Maybe not – no, they had – I think they had more yards in that KU game. They just didn't have as many points. You know, they they had more points, but, I mean, it wasn't the offensive performance that they're used to. And they were at home. We put pressure on Hunter Deckers. And I put this, I heard this stat thrown out there on the Late Kick show that since 1982, that is the least amount of points scored by an, a road team with a win. So we scored 10 points, and our defense held them to nine, obviously. And that was the least amount of points for a road team win since 1982 in the Big 12, which is incredible. That's, that's incredible. And and I think one thing I want to add about Josh Hayes, just looking big picture, you think back to he was at, what, Virginia last year, and I think he only played in three games. He only had one tackle in his entire year that he had at Virginia. But he had a national championship at North Dakota State. I think we all knew that he would do well in this system and that he would be better than he was at Virginia and that Virginia would be the fluke. But I guess I just didn't realize how good he would be plugging back into this system that that Klanderman has. And, I mean, he had 59 tackles in that year that they won the national championship. I mean, he's he's more than on pace to – I mean, he's got 34 so far this year. He's on pace to get 68, essentially, uh, over 12 games. So he's he's going to beat whatever he had in that national championship season if he continues to play at the rate that he has uh, through six games so far. And he's playing a different position. I mean, the coaches have said it multiple times that literally right before the season, they say, hey, Josh, we need you to switch to safety. I mean, he's a corner, for God's sakes. I mean, and... That's exactly what Rush East did. Rush East was, I mean, he was a deep safety, but he was more of a nickel cover guy that was good at punt returns, and they convert him to safety, and now he's playing in the league. Josh Hayes is putting on film exactly what Rush East did. I mean, he hasn't had the interceptions yet, but he's way more physical than I thought he would be. He's long. He can cover, which is really the the key to what, that position change happened. He's able to slide down from his free safety position and cover corners. When we have a big body like Khalid Duke or Desmond Purnell that can blitz the quarterback and it helps in that slot position. We saw it on Saturday. I don't know if Matt saw it from his vantage point in the stadium, but I mean, he absolutely put the clamps on 
arguably one of the best receivers in the Big 12 on a third down that needed to happen. Chef, he's a dude. He's a dude. I mean, I, I've i just been impressed, you know, with him and how he's developed into this system. And, look, the defense, you know, if they, they've shown this effort throughout the season, right, defensively, you know, we've been strong. Even the Oklahoma game, you know, we were up against a, an obviously a, a high-powered Oklahoma offense, at least at the time, but obviously they suck now. Um, but the defense just uh, – they've just continued to impress game after game. And um, this was one that they had to be like this. They had to play to the highest level against Iowa state to keep us in the game. And, you know, I, I don't think you can take anything away from that. And I will clarify real quick. I, I mentioned the national championship at North Dakota state. The dude won three national championships at North Dakota state. The 59 tackle season was, uh, was his last season, uh, which was the year after Kleiman left for, for K state. So um, yeah, that's really all I think we have on defense. I guess the last thing here is uh, special teams. Anybody want to want to cover that real quick? Uh, you know, I mean, we talked about it in kind of, what we thought was going to happen in the Iowa state game and what, what we thought our advantage was. And that was in special teams. They are egregiously bad for Iowa state, but you know, they, their kicker came in clutch. He hit three field goals. I mean, you've got, you got to give it to a kid. He made his field goals like he's supposed to. Their punter gave Phillip Brooks really no chance. I don't know what's going on with our punt return unit. Um, ever since that Missouri game, we don't really seem to be setting up walls. Um, we don't go after punts anymore, which is what I thought was going to be the advantage uh, going against Iowa State. They saw it versus Iowa. They blocked two. Maybe they've shirted it up. But, you know, we didn't really have anything. Zetner kind of – he mishit some punts. He hit mishit, which is weird. He mishit the kickoff on that last possession for Iowa state where they squibbed them and they were already backed up because of the penalty from Ben Sennett on a, the the last field goal to take the lead. It was just a weird performance. And, you know, Chris Tennant, when he need, we needed him, he was nails. He banged that field goal through, got us the lead. And I, I mean, let's not get into conspiracies here because I will go down that road, but, Put your tinfoil hats on for a second. I honestly, maybe Matt can, maybe Matt was there, so Matt can attest to this or prove me wrong, but he looked like he made that fucking field goal. I don't know what everybody else is looking at, but when I'm watching on TV, I don't see any point where that thing is wide or it's so high in the air that there's no way that that could have been gone because it, it was already passed by the time it looked like it was even right. I don't understand what they were looking at, but Maybe I'm maybe I'm just off, but it looked like he made it. You know, in my defense, I don't watch any of his field goals anymore. I just put my head in my hands and just <laughs> hope I hear some cheers from the K-State fans. See, I thought we were past this. I thought we were past this, but I guess, I guess not. I'm always like that for field goals, I feel like. So, you know, at this point. I mean, I we could we could. We could talk about the Chiefs if we want to. I, I'm not planning on it, but I'm that way right now with the Chiefs kicking room because it's it's infinitely worse than what the Cats are dealing with right now. But I guess the, I guess the last thing I'll say is if we just want to do a quick round robin and and Flando, I'd love your take on this too. 
Where do we see the team at right now? If we had to give out a letter grade for where the game or where the cats are through six games and just some quick justification on why, I mean, if I, if I kick us off here, I'd probably give this team a B. I think we're above average. We have a ton of potential. Just, just, we, I mean, the ceiling is the roof for this team, even though it's not because we already lost a game, but there are moments where we've been super anemic on offense. There have been moments where the offensive line has played great. There have been moments where the offensive line has played poorly. Um, there have been moments where Adrian Martinez has played great and moments where he's just not really felt like he's all there. And so, I mean, we're winning games. We're five and one. You really can't be upset with that through six games. And, and the conference championship is still 100% in the picture. We can still make it to Arlington. We could still be wearing purple in Arlington and we've got this gauntlet coming up between uh, the, the TCU game, Oklahoma state, Texas, and Baylor. It's going to be super daunting. Those teams are all very good, very solid top 25 teams. And if we win half of those games, even we could still make Arlington at that point. So I, I feel like this team, I would give them a B there's still potential there. They didn't quite live up to the highest heights that this team could have probably reached through six games, but five and one, you really can't be too disappointed in that. I am going to go with a B minus. And I overall look at it just from the schedule itself. I thought this team was going to go 10 and two this season. Um, I did not believe one of the two losses would be to Tulane. Um, And it shows just from an offensive perspective We've had two games this season where the offense has very much stagnated in games where we need it. Um, And out of those games, we were able to win Iowa State. And obviously, we did not win against Tulane. The defense does bring that grade up a ton because I do think defensively, they keep us in, they will keep us in any game this season, knock on wood. Um, I see the Oklahoma State and TCU games. Those are obviously going to be the huge indicators if, you know, we are able to to win on the road at TCU and, and host an undefeated Oklahoma State team. Um, we need that defense to play at that level. Um, but I this team has a lot looking forward, you know, to the future. And if they can come through and in that four game kind of gauntlet, if they can go three and one in there, um, that would be huge. I mean, obviously four and would be amazing, but uh, I do think they have the potential to go three and one in the, in those four games. So um, I'm going to give it a B minus. Um, you know, I, I, we've had really good moments, but you know, we've also left a, a little bit to be desired too. Well, you guys are a little harsher on the cats than I am. I mean, I look at, I look at seasons. I don't really go by halves, I look at it in more of quarters. So the first three games, I mean, we were really trying to find our identity. You know, we had the Missouri game. We kicked the fuck out of them. So I really like that. And South Dakota, we did exactly what we had to do versus South Dakota. And we handled that team. And, I mean, if you kind of look at those games, that kind of was exactly what our identity is now. We're just executing at a better click and Tulane was an all-time low but I think we needed that game to find our true identity and where Adrian can't be conservative Adrian has to push the ball downfield and he is quintessent I mean essentially him and Deuce are our bell cows so they play off of each other and I think 
that really started to peak at the Oklahoma game. And then Texas Tech really was the perfect rushing performance. I mean, two guys with 170 yards rushing, that, that's exactly kind of what you need and what you can envision. Now imagine that with uh, a, a passing performance that he could build off of from Iowa State. So, I mean, if I'm grading this team, I'm giving them an A because, you know, I think the low of the lows has happened already, and that's too lame. And I don't think we're ever going to see anything like that again from this team. And I don't think we've peaked because we haven't put our offense completely together. And our defense has been actually performing better and better each week, especially starting Big 12 play. I think we have been playing better and better, and they're growing into a more cohesive unit with and getting healthier on this bye week that – that came perfect timing. So I'm going to give them an A because we're top of the 12, having a laugh, as Scott Wildcat would say. We're having a laugh. We're top of the 12. You can't ask for a better start to Big 12 play, which is really the ultimate goal of this team. I agree, and and I think I, I like your point about splitting it into quarters because that I do think that does paint a, a little bit better picture than just looking at the half as a whole. Um, I do want to go ahead and throw it over to uh, to Grant Flanders. We've got Grant Flanders, a.k.a. Flando, uh, gracing us with his presence tonight. He's with uh, K-State Online and on three. Flando, what, what are your takes on Farmageddon? And uh, we'll, we'll start going around the horn here talking about a little bit of K-State hoops. What's up, guys? I uh, appreciate you having me on. Um, I think uh, I, I want to answer that, that grade question real quick. First, before I talk about Iowa State, but I think they got to win maybe two out of the next three games for me to bump it up to an A. I think, Bob, you're spot on there with uh, a B. I mean, losing to Tulane just knocks it down to a B for me. I do agree with Chef when you talk about the fact they're trying to find themselves those first three games. But I just – I just the, the loss to Tulane has to knock it down to a B. They've recovered, obviously, with three straight wins. Um and I, I do really like what this team has to offer. But there also are some holes that I still – like the offensive line, you guys talked about it. They're, they've probably been better than I give them credit for. But I, I just I just think that they can be better. I think that Iowa State game opened my eyes that Adrian Martinez has struggled to have enough time in the pocket to throw all season. But he made it work against Iowa State by breaking – tackles in the back of the pocket and throwing that dime to Phillip Brooks. He had a someone right in his face to that Malik Knowles almost touchdown. And I just, I, I want to see more from the offensive line. I like what Cooper Beebe does. I like what Hadley Panzer does, but besides those two, I, I haven't seen enough consistency. And so they've been, um, they've been a disappointment. I, I expected more out of them. I like the, I like the rushing. I do like their run blocking for sure. And they did put up more yards than anyone else has on the ground against Iowa State. But I just I just don't love the fact that uh, they haven't figured out pass protection yet. And I think Hayden Gillum could play a lot better. He's, uh, he's really struggled in the middle at times. I mean, run blocking, especially to start the year, he was really, really good. And he's still a solid run blocker. But, man, he needs to get better at pass protection. And then uh, on the outside, I mean, uh, Leviston's been solid, except for I think sometimes he he sometimes can get in his head, and it's 
it's a struggle bus and Duffy. I, I really want to see more from Duffy because he's been, he has so much experience, but he has not put it all together at, uh, and been consistent in my eyes. Um, and then to, to point out uh, the defense, the defense, obviously I, I love the defense. The defense is amazing. Uh, speaking of Josh Hayes, you guys talked about him earlier. Um, it's uh, however many total tackles he has this season. He's actually done it in five games because he missed that South Dakota game, which is supreme. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's something that's just goes to show that Josh Hayes is, uh, is the real deal. I didn't even realize that he was going to be this good either. I, I was a little skeptical because of the Virginia, um, what he did there. But I mean, I also realized he came off of injury, but I was skeptical because of that too, because, he, he was injured there. So, I mean, I didn't know he was going to come to Manhattan and, and be this good right away, but I really like, I really like the defense. I love uh, the three safety set. Obviously we saw it last year, but this year I really like it with Savage um, Hayes and then, and then Cheatham has been pretty solid as well. And then Felix has been unreal. Uh, Khalid Duke is too bad. He got injured last game because he's really progressing with each game. And obviously that Texas tech game, uh was huge i'm actually like he was great but i honestly think felix was a touch better because he forced that fumble if i'm not mistaken um but i'm not going to complain that khalid duke got it i'm actually happy he got it because he probably needed that confidence booster just to you know keep on progressing too bad he got uh dinged up hopefully he comes back healthy um out of the bye weeks they'll need him because yeah these next two these next three weeks gauntlet i mean four weeks honestly because Traveling to Waco is not going to be easy as well. Um, but, yeah, so far I think it's a B. Um, I like what they did against Iowa State for the most part. I do agree they left some points on the board. Um, I specifically think Adrian Martinez made more things happen um, than what the offensive line really gave him. But I I do appreciate people still believing in this offensive line. I, I still think they can get better. Um, I just wouldn't mind seeing um, – if they can't get better at pass protection, maybe some changes, but we'll see. Yeah, I heard D.Y. say that uh, on the Three Maw podcast. And, you know, realistically, Andrew Lingang and Katari Levison or KT Levison are a toss-up. They kind of battled for that left tackle position at the beginning of the season. Maybe that's the change people are asking for, but, you know, the backups are the backups. If they were if they were any better, they would be out there. They haven't played, so I can't fathom that the offensive line would be better switching up positions that haven't played together much at all this season to expect them to pass protect better with the communication when they haven't played nearly as much as this five that's played the last four games together consistently so I, I just don't I just don't the whole backup it's like the DJ Giddens thing with Deuce Vaughn like DJ Giddens is good but taking carries away from Deuce Vaughn is psychotic and to say that Andrew Line Gang needs to be a starter over Katori Levis uh, KT Levison or move Panzer to center and all changing all this stuff that's just gonna cause more problems for a longer stretch than if it's just in spell duty. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm an idiot, so I don't know. No, I mean, it probably, you're probably right. Honestly, I, I don't know if changing up that much in line gang, he struggled too out there. Sometimes like you, you mentioned, 
And um, I, I like KT out there. Um, so I, I still would want him in there. It's, my main problem has really been Gillum. And, but the fact is he's been good run blocking, and that's their bread and butter this year. So I do agree. Maybe you don't want to switch that up because then you're screwing with that. But I, I just um, – there's times when he's pass blocking. I mean, everyone's seen it. I mean, the highlight to Brooks is just one of the worst <laughs> – one of the worst jobs I've seen from an offensive offensive lineman. <laughs> I'm going to – I got to push back on that too because okay. he's engaged. He's engaged with the nose guard. They're double teaming on the nose guard. It was a quarterback spy. That I mean, they thought that's what we were going to do on that opening drive is run Adrian Martinez like we did versus the last two the last two games with Oklahoma and Texas Tech. We thought we were going to run. So they had a spy with Colby uh, Reeder, number four, who was uh, – he was basically a K-State commit for a second – from Delaware, but he was spying. And as soon as he saw him drop back, he was five yards off the ball. And as soon as he saw him drop back and know that he was going to pass, he went on a blitz straight through the gap. There was no way that anybody could see that he was blitzing from that far. That late blitz pickup would have been impossible for any O-line because I mean, the play was already going for like four seconds and then Reader takes his shot. He just, I mean, he shoots out like a cannon when he, because he's spying him and he sees it and he's like, I got to go now. And I mean, Gillum's engaged. I can't put that on anybody on the O line, especially because it didn't end up in a sack. But, you know, it's, it's nobody's fault, in my opinion. If I'm watching the game, I'm like, oh, that was, he was four yards off the ball, spying Adrian, and he ran blitz him. That's basically what he did. I do agree it's more difficult than what I'm making it out to be. I disagree that he was engaged. He, he didn't look like he had his hands on anyone when that uh, rusher came through. But I just – he didn't even put out his right hand. He didn't get one hand on him. I get it's more difficult. But, listen, I'm not ready to change things yet. And, honestly, if they – I mean, if they win, it's – if they win against TCU – even if Gillum's not good in pass protection, but he's still run blocking well, then it's not going to matter. No matter how they win, really, it's they shouldn't change it. But if, they, right. if they do lose because because of I Gillum. mean, some bad, <laughs> yeah, then maybe they should make some some changes. But I I do like what he's done. Otherwise, like his run blocking, he pulls well. Um, he, yeah, he's really he's really good in that area. So I really like him. And yeah, he 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 also is. Um, He's he's a active player. He's really active. He's not. He doesn't take any plays off. Um, I just think uh, maybe it's just experience too is going to help him more and more. Maybe he's going to progress. But man, I mean, if you listen, to, if you listen to the coaches, they they rave that he's the Noah Johnson of this season. So I mean, like I was actually shocked to hear Kleiman praise him this past week because. Uh, and but you know, Chef, you're you're probably spot on. You're probably spot on with what these coaches are thinking. But I I just disagree. I think he, that was probably his worst game because of those glaring. I mean, yes, yes, that one was tough. Um, that one was tough for him to block that first play of the game or first drive of the game. But uh, I do think later on in the game, Will McDonald shot up the gut, made Cooper Beebe look bad because Gillum is yeah. all the way on the other side of the field. So, that was the slide. That was the slide protection one that they miscommunicated, and it was just—I mean, it's just a freaky play. He he stunts and basically turns into the D tackle nose guard, and is right over top, and he just he does let him right by. So yeah, I mean, 
there are some indefensible plays, and I, I think I could defend them on some, but, I mean, Bob is probably tired of us talking O-line. He wants to get into the basketball. It's bye week. We got the expert of all experts for basketball, so. Matt, Fireball Matt, do you want to take us away on the uh, the first round of questions, the first line of questioning that we have for Flando here? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to preface with this. I love K-State football, but I'm a basketball guy through and through. Um, when I was at K-State as a, as a student, the basketball team was better than the football team um, from uh, 08 to 012, well, 2012. But um, I am pumped about this season. And, and one of the guys that I'm pumped about is Keontae Johnson. Um, his last full season at Florida, you know, he was first team all SEC, averaged 14 a game, seven rebounds. Um, I love seeing the video of him that K-State put out uh, yesterday. But what are you hearing about Keontae's development and his acclimation, uh, the acclimation he's making to to the program thus far um, as we get towards the start of the season? I uh, simply, by the sounds of it, is really good. It seems he hasn't really uh, broken a stride. Uh, and I brought this up on Scott's podcast yesterday, which dropped today. Um, the Bosco's Boys podcast to plug them. But uh, I really... I really think that the fact that he, you know, didn't have, I mean, didn't have a knee injury. It was, uh, it was obviously myocarditis, which is super scary. And hopefully uh, fingers crossed, nothing happens throughout the season. And he's obviously good to go. Cause that's super scary. You don't want to mess with the heart obviously, but the fact he didn't have a knee injury of any sort, which is the usual injury uh, freak injury that you get in basketball or even football and it just ruins athleticism. He didn't have he didn't have that kind of injury of any, of any sort. So, by the sounds of it, he's he's the stud, the stud that he was at Florida. Um, will that show up right away? I mean, he hasn't played organized basketball in two years, so I don't know if that's going to show up day one, game one. Um, but I do think that they have a chance to be really good just because of him. I mean, throughout the season, especially. I mean. Once he gets acclimated and he's a few games into the season, 10 games into the season, and we can all uh, – or I should say 11 games into the season, we can all uh, have a sigh of relief because he's still here. <laughs> he didn't take that ten uh, $5 million buyout or whatever that he could take if he wanted because of the, the freak accident he had. Um, but that's I, – I, I really think he's going to be the leader of this team. I really like what uh, – he does in the locker room just based off the videos like you talked about some of the videos you see of him he's just really already seems like he's a leader seems like he uh really loves tang a lot i mean the birthday video of them together uh he was right next to tang in the locker room with just huge smile so i really like how much he's already immersed himself in this team it seems like a leader also helps that this staff just seems elite at really building morale and uh, togetherness within a team. Um, so I think he's going to be a, a, a huge leader for this team, not only on the court, but off the court. And I, they talk, I mean, you'll probably ask about it later. Um, I've heard how, you know, Naquan Tomlin could be one of the most talented players on the team, but I'm going to have to see that to believe that because uh, Keontae Johnson's going to be that guy until I see differently. Yeah, I mean, Keontae can, I mean, basically carry us to, I mean, if he's Florida, Florida Gator Keontae Johnson, he could basically carry this entire team to the NCAA tournament. But and you've been saying that 
the cats are going to be NCAA tournament this year. I think from all the podcasts, that's what you've been okay. saying. And where do you, where do you see the team landing in conference play? I mean, do you see us as a top half a team, bottom half? I, I mean, I got us as top of the half of the 12. Where do you have us? Top half. I mean, I'm with you. Uh, I, I think uh, it's pretty clear to me. I think Desi Sills being on campus pushes me to that. Had he not been on campus, then I'd be saying bottom half, maybe sneak into the tournament. Um, but I do think having Desi Sills um, on campus, it sucks that he came late, but having him on campus regardless is going to help. And the fact he got here just in the nick of time to where he can be eligible right away to play is massive. Um, but it just helps with depth in the backcourt and uh, gives them a killer as a scorer, which I don't think they really have at, in the backcourt besides Marquise Noel, who needs to you know focus a lot of attention on dishing and finding guys. Um, so Desi Sills was really key. Obviously, Keontae's huge, and and the talk about Tomlin recently and and has really helped me rise up you know, and make me feel like this team can really do it. Um, even uh, baller status cat, uh, even what he says about, you know, he talked to, I think Tomlin, he said he talked to Tomlin at a game a few weeks ago and just said how, you know, long, strong he looks already. I think, I mean, skinny, but he's, I think this staff, this coaching staff and this strength and conditioning staff is going to turn him into I mean, take him to as much potential as he can possibly be, which should raise the ceiling of this team. So, yeah, I, I'm thinking top half. And uh, as long as they can stay healthy, Keontae Johnson's going to be the key there, um, staying healthy. <laughs> that's that's really what needs to happen. Bob, yeah, Bob, I know I know you're about to ask a question, but can yeah, I just go ask ahead. One, one thing? I, I'm really curious about this because this is the first time I've ever heard it. I heard it on the Bosco's Boys podcast with Grant Flando. Uh, about the insurance thing, and you just brought it up. If he takes a five million dollar insurance thing, that means he can't play professional basketball or any kind of basketball ever again. Correct. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, there's no way that he turns. Exactly. He takes five million dollars. That's just stupid. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And and uh, I think Scott brought it up. That little Jenga game. You could see at the end, he was like, "I'm not going to let the you know UK State fans down." As long as nothing crazy happens within the ten games or whatever, um, yeah, there's no chance. I don't think um, he's he's here for a reason. He wouldn't come to Manhattan, Kansas, just to just to. He would have already taken the buyout by now. So yeah, I don't think there's much of a chance. And to your point, I don't think he would also be investing in the relationships and stuff with the staff as well. And, and to bring, to bring the staff into it a little bit more, I know Flando, you, you're on the record as saying the last staff was super, super good to good to you. I know that Bruce Weber did a ton for Manhattan in the community. And, and I actually kind of had an outburst on, on Twitter this week, just kind of frustrated that people are still dogging on Bruce when in reality, like we've got Jerome Tang now, we've got a completely different regime in place. Why are we, you know, letting Bruce Weber live rent free in our heads for people who are frustrated about that, I'm, I'm a little upset, but kind of to put that to the side, what have you been most impressed by so far with this Jerome Tang staff? And, and what are some of the differences that you've seen between this staff and, and the previous regime in Manhattan? Yeah, no, I, I love that last staff. I love Bruce, uh, Chris Lowry, obviously 
still, you know, I'm going to always keep him close to my heart and uh, we'll always, you know, keep him on the ringer um, whenever he wants to talk. And, and we talk every once in a while, but uh, this staff, I think is a little more Jerome Tang in particular is a little more open, I think to ideas, new ideas, new people, um, and just opening up his staff to like so many people. We haven't seen, we didn't see Bruce Weber with so many support guys the way Jerome Tang already has um, on his staff, which would have been cool to see Bruce do bring a guy like uh, Marco Bourne or Kevin Sutton in as guys that can't even go out and recruit, but yet they technically would be great recruiters. And if you have a guy on campus that's visiting campus, they only help boost things because um, they seem like great men and they know how to, uh, you know, talk to, talk to young guys. So I just really, I really like that about this staff, I think, which I think is just, uh, just an openness and, uh, the ability to, to know that Tang needs, uh, as many guys to, to help get the ship rolling as possible and have guys on campus at all times when the coaches are out you know, recruiting, which is all the time they have guys on, on, um, campus. And, but that is one thing I think Bruce also did. I I mean, obviously Tang loves to have, um, loves to have things, you know, get, get togethers with the whole team and stuff like that. I think Bruce did that too. Uh, he just didn't have as much guys on his staff. So when they were out recruiting, uh, maybe, yeah, the GAs were still around and they could talk to the guys and hang out with the guys, when coaches were out, but now you have legitimate, like real deal coaches. I mean, Marco Bourne was an associate head coach at um, at Alcorn state before he came to K state. I I just think there's just a lot of experience on this team that I like already and uh, their ability to, to really connect. It just seems like is another, just a, a tick better, uh, than what Bruce Weber was able to do because uh, it seems like they're already landing some big names. I mean, Bruce Bruce had his his fair share of getting you know some big names, but he had to develop some guys um, from the ground up, uh, like like a guy like Barry Brown and uh, who ended up being a stud and you know was one of my favorite K Staters of all time. But I just I just think this staff seems to actually. May I mean that's the thing is we're gonna ha- we're gonna have to see how it goes after a year or so to see if he can continue the success. But they've already you know put together this roster that I really like that seems to be an upgrade at almost every position besides N- Nigel Pack from last year. And then uh, also you you got Day Day Ames and R J Jones and Mac uh, McCaleb Rich who I think are is already they're already in the fold and that's three really solid contributors for the future and uh they might you know we'll see if they get you know a guy like Cameron Carr in the fold as well but they're probably about done with high schoolers um maybe if I think Carr is the last one they're kind of you know they'll take if he wants in but he's also got some some other suitors coming after him pretty hard so we'll see what happens with that but I really like I really like what this staff does and, and how they've already connected with guys seem to be a little bit more open in my opinion. Um, and uh, we'll see how, we'll see how it shows on the court. It should be, I think fun to watch. Um, but I did love Bruce Weber and I think he had some great seasons. I don't think people should dog on him too much. I do think 
it sucks the way you know he went out and k-state should just and and this is not not to excuse what bruce did on his way out but k-state shouldn't have given that that last press conference in the first place um which was too bad because i think that you know threw some some gas on the fire for people to really hate on him and on, on his way out which is too bad because yeah you're talking about two big 12 championships and People want to forget about that just because it's attached to a guy um, who I think is a great guy. Bruce Weber is a great guy, um, but Jerome Tang is just different. He's also a great guy, but he's just uh, a little bit different. Obviously, has some swag to him, which I think was on Bruce Weber's staff. I think there was swag there. I just don't think it was in Bruce, <laughs> whereas Tang has that swag, and he's got tons of dudes with swag. Uh, Dream Dowling is just awesome. Um, really, really like what what he brings to the table. Uh, Yurik Malagy, awesome. Um, and re- I really enjoy Rodney Perry too. Rodney Perry, um, I think could be a, a really solid third chair I, and, and is already, I think helping probably with practices and stuff as he's an experienced coach in his own right. Man, you, you talk about the swagger of the team and I, I could not agree more. One of the strangest moments I've ever had in my life was I was, when I was a young frat star still in a uh, Delta SIG at K state with uh, Matt fireball, Matt here, I was at the polo outlet in the legends. And I, I literally ran into Bruce Weber and he dropped all of the clothes that he had. <laughs> and he just like quickly scrambled to pick them all up. And, and he was really apologetic and everything. And it was just one of the most awkward experiences I've ever had. <laughs> and I love Bruce. And, and I just feel like that kind of epitomizes Bruce in general is he's, he's really kind of goofy. Like he's a really good dude. He's great at what he does. Um, but he, there's just something there that's just a little bit awkward sometimes. Oh, uh, and that's, that's, that's kind of how I felt about, about Bruce in general. But, um, I do have just kind of one quick also ad lib question. You, you talk about the staff and you talk about how I, I was listening to three Ma earlier, like Yurik Malagy was talking about how he kind of waited for the opportunity to play with Tang. I think that speaks for itself of the, the type of culture that Tang brings to the table and that all of these guys, you've got Jareem Dowling coming in from North Texas. You've got Yurik Malagy leaving Chris Beard's staff at Texas, which is an incredible staff in its own right, to come make the jump to Manhattan. I think that speaks all we need to know about Tang and the type of culture that he builds. And we're seeing it play out also on the recruiting front. I guess my question here is, this might be a long shot, but but over under one and a half years until we have a five-star recruit. Hmm. <laughs> I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go over. I'm gonna go over. Um, you know, it's it's gonna be difficult. It's gonna be difficult to accomplish something like that, especially out the gate. Uh, one and a half years. I, that is a good line. I think the set because I think by the two year, three year mark, he could get his first. I just don't see it right away. Although, I mean, technically we could say he's already got a five star in Keontae Johnson, who I know is a four star. Um, out of high school, but I mean, let's be honest, that's a, that's a five-star caliber player, but out of actual high school recruits, I, I don't see it happening for maybe another couple of years. So I'll, I'll go with the, the over on that. So obviously this staff had to replace a ton of players. Um, and we saw, um, you know, the, the whole Nigel pack saga, you know, go come and go, but um, there's a lot of newcomers that, look to be exciting and can provide a little bit of a spark. Um, which of these players do you think fans are going to be most impressed with? I know Tomlin was brought up earlier, but 
Um, you know, who do you think is these fans are going to be most impressed with and, and maybe who's flying under the radar that we should keep our eyes on? It's mm, a great question. It's a great question. Um, Cause I want to lean towards a guy like Cam Carter as who might, you know, surprise or impress people the most out of the gate. But I also, I, I just, I, I'm just, I don't know if I'm ready to do that. Yet. I really like what Cam Carter brings to the table. I just don't know if he's going to be the stud that I think a lot of people think he's going to be right away. Um, but he very well could be. So I, I might go with him. Um, he's obviously not flying under the radar, so I can't use him for that question. Um, I, as far as guys flying under the radar, it seems like either Ish Masood or my guy that I think might, you know, start in front of uh, a guy like Cam Carter at, to start the season in Tyke Green. I, I feel like a lot of people haven't been talking about Tyke Green. Um, and he you talk about a guy that's that's built. I mean, he's strong, obviously. We know that. So I think he's going to be a really good defender right away. Offensively is is the wild card for him. Um, but he's definitely been flying under the radar. And then Ish Masood, it seems like people have kind of forgot about him. Maybe, maybe he takes a back seat even more this year, even though, you know, he, he was the best, uh, front court guy they had on Bruce Weber's squad last year, which wasn't saying much this year. I think with strength and conditioning, I think he's going to be a different player. Um, I think he's going to, with this team too, I think he's going to have more opportunities to get open, have clean shots. And I think Besides, you know, the starters of Tomlin um, and uh, Keontae Johnson, I think he's probably the best shooter out of all the guys in the front court. So he's he's been flying under the radar um, for me. I mean, there's other guys that have been flying under the radar like Gasson, um, who I, I just don't know what we're going to see from him. So I'm, I'm tentative to, to, you know, think that he's going to really show us much this season, but would love to be surprised. And then uh, the big guys, uh, not not a ton of people talking about Jarrell Colbert or Bebe Iola, um, but I, I, I think they will be solid pieces as well. Grant, you're literally the best, but I, I, got, a, I got one question that I want to ask, and I think we're going to flip and let some of these guys, part of the Cocaine Willie uh, fandom come up here. You know, they're all, they're, we're all equals. There's no fans here. They're just part of the crew. But I got a question about these freshmen. Uh, Dorian Finister, I think is his name, and Taj Manning. They came in. They were technically uh, Tang's first freshman recruiting class. Are they just kind of fillers or are they going to get over, are they going to get over recruited? Once Tanks finally starts to get in his groove, really, are they going to be taking backseats their their entire career here, or are they really supposed to be contributors coming into the future? I think Taj Manning will be a contributor um, in the future, not right away. Obviously, there's too much too much in front of him um, to get on the court a bunch this year one, um, but I, I do think he has a skill set that really fits what this system does as a four that can is skilled. Um, he could probably even slide down to the three if you really wanted him to. Um, and I think later in his career, that could be a real possibility, but three, I mean, the three and four are pretty interchangeable um, in the system, I think. So I think Taj is going to find a, p- a place here 
And Finister has a chance. He's got the physical tools. He's long. He's six five. He's uh, he's already built up for a high schooler, um, and he's super athletic. I mean, there's no doubt about that. I, I'm just curious if he's going to be able to be that guy where he's actually hones in on his skill set to what I think the staff really wants in their in their backcourt. Because I do think in the backcourt is where they really want guys that can handle and shoot the ball, and uh, he's going to have to prove it. Um, over the next year that he can uh, he can do it in practice and, and really find some consistency, or I do think he could be a guy that could possibly get uh, recruited over. Yeah, because, I mean, you got you got the car – I mean, not car, potentially car, but you've got R.J. Jones and you got just more guards just seem like there's in the fold. So I just was just curious to see if, if those guys were really Tang's guys or were they trying to just fill in out roster spots. It does seem like I think. I mean, that's the thing is uh, Manning. Technically, Taj Manning was uh, Bruce oh, Weber's guy. Yeah, commitment, which obviously, I think they were hesitant at first. They didn't know whether they wanted to keep him or not. Just you know, kind of assumption on my part there. I don't have any kind of sources saying that. Of but once they realized the kind of kid he was, because um, he is a good kid, and on top of I think first few practices, first few warm-up workouts they've had. Um, because one of the first times we got to talk to Tang after, you know, some summer workouts and stuff, uh, one of the f- first guys he was mentioning in one of those press conferences was Taj Manning, and they really like what he's brought to the table. So that's kind of why I'm thinking he can be that guy for the future. And I did like what he did at the high school level at La Lumiere. He was uh, – a he was a dude that could hit the mid-range jumper. He could put the ball on the floor a little bit. He's athletic. Um, and he has a lot of qualities that they really like on this team. And uh, not that Finister doesn't, but like I said, he just needs to really hone on his skill set, whereas it seems like Taj Man is already further along in that area. We got Cole and we got Will up here. You guys you guys got something for Flando? Get, get the question asking, baby. Um, Flando, I just want to say that I called Techie Dreams my guy in the Bosco Boys live show, but I will share him with you. Um, I don't know why I just, you know, like you were talking about in Scott's podcast, how he just looks like he could be yeah. a, a, be a middle linebacker or a tight end <laughs> for a D1 football team. Like he, that dude is just jacked. And I feel, I mean, I feel like that way with our whole, all our players, like, I think there was a little stretch there where they kind of had like pre-workouts and post-conditioning workouts or whatever when they all kind of got here. Yeah. And it it just seems like our uh, – I can't think of his name, but our strength conditioning coach we got from Miami, he's just been doing work with these guys. And I just think that's all going to make such a difference. Um, and I know you showed respect with who Bruce had, you know, before I think maybe this last season or two. Um. I guess, oh, shoot. Uh, I had some questions earlier. I kind of forgot. Um, go to Will real quick if he has some ready to shoot and go with, but I will think of a couple I questions. Will, I will say that uh, you brought it up. I'm, uh, the strength and conditioning coach that Bruce had uh, last year was unfortunately, I think, just just the wrong choice. And I, I'm, I mean, it all worked out for K-State in the long run. Um, didn't work out for Bruce Weber, but I do think you changed that or they kept um, Will McDonald around. 
um, for another year, they're possibly somehow, you know, not losing, what was it, five games to end the season because you have guys that are more well-conditioned and guys like Davion Bradford, who completely was a shell of himself in his sophomore season compared to his freshman season because I, and the the denominator there is Will McDonald. Um, to me, because McDonald was there for those freshman seasons for Celta Miguel, uh, Davion Bradford, um, Nigel Pack, and I think all were physically better looking than they were this past season. Will, do you have anything to say about uh, to Grant about K-State playing Kansas twice a year now? That all-time record's in jeopardy for them. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think I have any questions about that. Actually, I did have a question. So, something I think gets talked a lot about is relationships with high school coaches in football. Um, you know, like if you wanted to bring up KU, for example, I think people talked about how those relationships were torpedoed by Les with just some of his antics and how he talked. I, I don't know how that really works for basketball. I wonder if you could just talk to that very briefly, uh, if, if it's similar or not, um, how they were, I guess, by the end of Bruce's tenure. Uh, is Tang continuing those? It seems like he has connections elsewhere from his time at Baylor. Mm-hmm. Uh, are we going to see a shift maybe to some more Kansas ones, or is he working those? I, it's just something that comes up a lot in football, but I don't think I've heard much talked about it in basketball. Maybe that's because it's not as important. You know, I think there is uh, with with every coaching change. I think there's there's going to be a shift. We've already seen it some um, with areas that you see recruited. Although, I mean, <laughs> looks like they're still dipping into some of the areas that Bruce was recruiting and Coach Lowry, Chris Lowry, was recruiting because uh, Matt, uh, I always mess up his name. McCaleb McCaleb Rich is from East St. Louis. He's a guy that uh, Lowry actually offered a while back. You know, as um, and then obviously K-State really liked him again when Jerome Tang got hired, which really worked out in their favor. But I, I do think um, the last staff, they they had certain areas. It's, it's like I said earlier about how the openness a little bit. I think last staff had their certain areas that they focused mostly on and they tried to reach out in places like Texas didn't really work out. Um, and then you, you see this new staff obviously already has tons of connections in Texas that are going to pay off and already have with guys like, uh, RJ Jones. But I think that's probably going to be the biggest thing for this staff is going out and finding new areas. I think California looks like a place where I think Eric Malagy is really going to start to, to put a, a foot in the ground and already has, he's been out there a few times recruiting some guys. And then um, Dowling, I think, obviously Shane Southwell, I really like that Shane Southwell brought to the table, but Dowling kind of covers what Shane covered in the East Coast areas and even, I think, trickles out to more Virginia and probably, you know, like the D.C. area. Really, really, I think, is going to pay off big for a guy like Dream Dowling. Um, and then they also have their – just those two in Tang and Dowling have their connections in uh, the BVIs or no, I'm sorry, the U.S. Virgin Islands. And that's, I think, going to be something that's big. I mean, we already see it with a guy, 2024 prospect like Patrick Ngongba, who has some uh, ethnicity tied to the U.S. Virgin Islands. So I, I think um, 
I think that that's going to be a, a, a big play. They haven't really gone up north too much, it doesn't seem like, which I think the old regime like to do a little bit more, although I guess Day-Day Ames is technically up north in Chicago, which I do know, like, I do know the old staff like to, to check out Chicago from time to time. Um, but I do think there's going to be areas more in the south with Texas, Louisiana, um, and then east coast with Dowling. And then Malik, he's obviously Texas, and he's also trying to check out uh, California. So I think it's just a little more spread out, which is good, I think, for for K-State to make sure that they cover pretty much their ground everywhere they go because they know who they want. They know the kind of guy that they want, and they can find that all over the country. So the more they can spread out, I think, um, and hone in on specific guys in specific areas, make them feel loved, I think the better off they'll be. Well, I mean, to piggyback off of that, this is probably going to be my last question for Flando. I mean, I love you, and I'll talk to you forever. I'll have to get your number after this. But uh, my last question, basically, basically piggybacking off of that recruiting question, um, he, he brings the guys in. We all know that. And Bruce had his time uh, with the last staff of bringing in somewhat decent caliber players, four stars, Nigel Pack, Davion Bradford. They were uh, good high caliber 150 players, but it was the retention rate that really did Bruce Weber in. What do you think um, Tang's ability to retain guys is going to be? Do you think he's because of his uh, connection with these guys that it's going to be better than what Bruce Weber had? And do you think retention will be a problem with the Tang era? Uh, It better be better. Um, I will say, I think Bruce did a good job of, retaining mostly I think good players on his team the most mostly guys that left uh K-State where I I mean uh, of course except for the blunders of Marcus Foster and um a few other guys like Isaiah Maurice I think and I can't think of any others Brandon Bolden really wasn't I think a guy to ride home about so I don't know about him but uh I do think that there's um a possibility. I, I think this the staff will be better at that. Of course, I mean it's easy to say that. We'll see if it's true. Um, but also, I mean, it's interesting that you asked that because, like I just said, most of the guys they couldn't retain in the Bruce era were, I think, lesser of players compared to he he was able to I think keep around some of his better players in Nigel Pack. I think Pack would have stuck around for with Bruce and um, Barry Brown and, and Dean Wade, you know, those guys really stuck with Bruce. Um, and I think Tang will have his guys that he's going to keep sticking with him, but he's going to, he's going to lose some guys. Every, every coach, every team does, um, you know, at some point in the roster and it's going to, it might hurt to see some guys go, but I think he will be good at keeping the guys that he really wants. And that's going to be really important guys that he knows are going to be, really skilled guys in the backcourt and long and athletic guys in uh, the front court. Awesome. Well, last call real quick for folks uh, who are listening in, in the gallery, if you've got questions, go ahead and pop up. Uh, Cole, I see you're off mute. Go ahead yeah. and, uh, and ask your next question. So Grant, um, outside of the KU game, KU home game this year, do you think we get a full sellout of Bramlage Coliseum? I will set that over under at, Three and a half. This is a and, good question. And uh, 
So that's over and under three and a half of sellouts outside of KU. What's your favorite or what's your favorite non-con game you're looking forward to? And currently as a roster stands, how many potential NBA guys do you think is on the team? Sorry for unloading three of them all at once. Um, no, I like it. Uh, I'm going over. I mean, we're talking about an, uh, for the first question because we're talking about a new a new staff, I think, and that seems like already 99.9. Everyone except for Kevin Keatsman loves loves Jerome Tang and, and what he brings to the table. So I think we, he already has a ton of guys bought or a ton of fans bought in. So I do think they go over sellouts. I don't know if they'll you know sell them all out, obviously, but especially because he's talking about midweek games and stuff like that. So it's probably a good number to put it at three. But I think they can go over three, um, not including Kansas. And then um, I, th- my favorite non-conference game is probably either Butler or Wichita State. Butler, because of the history with that program, um, the basketball history that program brings, I think is a really cool matchup. And then uh, Wichita State at home, that that's probably going to be a sellout. I mean, we're talking – well, I guess I forgot unless – K-State footballs, of course, in the the uh, Big 12 championship game, which I think we all here um, are hoping for and, you know, think is a real possibility. But if that's if they're not, then we're talking about K-State fans can get really riled up for a Wichita State team coming to Manhattan and uh, see if they can beat them two times in a row and keep the, you know, uh, keep the bragging rights going because that's always nice to see against uh in-state team um especially last year i mean that was such a fun game such an amazing game especially for was it marquise noel that hit the 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 final game winning shot which yeah it was a deep three yeah that was just insane so i i think it's that and then obviously i i think the um the i forgot which island honestly wherever they're going for their little tournament is not as good as I wanted it to be, but I don't mind it. I don't mind it. I think they can still have uh, still, I think they'll have success because I don't think it's that I'd, I'm excited for when Tang gets this team to go to Maui. And then uh, that will be, I think when we know Tang has made it as a K-State coach. (laughs) Oh, Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to ask, are you going to be making the trip to the little island that uh, that they're going to be playing basketball at? No, I don't think so. I would love to. Um, maybe get into DY's year and say fork over the money for <laughs> those travels. I don't think we're going to be able to make it out there, but I would love to. One more question. <laughs> I saw, didn't they just announce like today or yesterday we're going, where's our non-con tournament next year? Because I think next year it's against Miami and we might just see a little uh, – Nigel Pack next year. Yeah, my guy John Rothstein. Um, where is that? He he did put that out there. Is it in the Bahamas? No, it's. Yeah, I Bahamas. think so. Bahamas. Yeah, yeah. It'll take me five, you know, hours to go through Rothstein's Twitter, who tweets every five minutes, um, to find what it is because I forgot. He also. That guy, that guy loves using Godfather analogies. I feel like, I think if you tweet at John Rothstein and search for the amount of times he's mentioned the Corleone family, it's like, there's like See? thousands of tweets. 
seems like he's a part of the mob. He might be. I don't. He does kind of seem like that for real. And I, I don't mind him, especially when he puts out good information. That's especially when it's related to K State. But he does annoy me during basketball season with his little catchphrases. I mean, you want to talk about like go into his search, you know, on John Rothstein's Twitter. You can go find the exact same thing that tweeted 500 times because it's a tagline. Good for him. He's making money. So I can't hate too hard uh, making money with his little T-shirts and stuff that he's got his taglines on. But, man, that stuff kind of <laughs> that stuff irks me just because uh, it's just so cringe sometimes. But, hey, he's it works for him. So kudos. I call him kudos. Kudos to John Rothstein. What did you What did you say? You call him Johnny Boy. Johnny Boy. We got it. We got to love it. Well, Flando, I I very much appreciate having you on. You're you're like the insider of all insiders when it comes to K State hoops. So uh, you've been awesome. Thanks to uh, to all the question askers out there in the gallery too, Cole and, and Will. Uh, for getting your questions up here, but I think we're we're gonna move on real quick to Bob's locks, and then we'll close out the show. But but Grant, any last words for for the Coke fiends out there? I uh, <laughs> the Coke fiends, that's great. Um, I appreciate you guys for having me on. Uh, this was this was awesome. I love this format, and it's a lot of fun. And I think this went a lot better than my one time trying uh, Spotify live with the uh, Bosco's boys. Was that like last year where I just made a, yeah, for the, the bonehead prediction is extravaganza <laughs> where dude, you were, you were feeling it. I think a little bit, I think I was feeling it a little bit on that one. It was uh, it was a doozy. <laughs> that was a doozy, but yeah, no, I appreciate you guys and uh, look forward to, you know, doing it again. This was, this was fun. So uh, have fun on the bye week I know I, I know it's a mixed bag for people. Some people are like, ah, get me to next week. You know, um, little break for me. I'll be enjoying the, you know, the, the Chiefs, the Chiefs play this weekend, I'm sure. Uh, it's not a bye week. We got the people. Bills. We got the Bills this week. That's, yeah. That's going to be a good one. And that's going to be a national. I don't know if it's national, but I, I know I'm getting it down here. So I'm pretty hyped. Yeah. yeah. That's going to be a big game. All right. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, Flando. Yeah. Keep dropping them bombs, baby. <laughs> I'll try my best, Chef. Only thing yes, better sir. than a Woj bomb is a, is a Flando bomb. We, uh, we love it. And, and Flander, Flanders, you are welcome anytime. So if you ever want to pop in, just just say hello. All right. Yeah, hit me up, baby. Yeah, I will. I will. I got your number now, Chef. So I'm gonna send you some pics. But all right. <laughs> See you guys. <laughs> I Chef's getting those sexy lavender jacket pics. See, that's mm. why I was hoping this was on the video so mm. I could show you my cocaine Willie on my jacket. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll get the video. Don't worry. That's all. That's our scene. I will. You just, you just keep it between us. I will forever be jealous of the fact that you were able to cop that jacket, dude. Are they not around anymore? What is Charlie Hustle slacking or what? I think they sold out within, I mean, maybe a week of them being on the market. So I, I've yet to find it anywhere. And granted, I'm also living in. Colorado, so I'm like seven hours from the nearest Charlie Hustle affiliated store, so I can't get it anywhere unless, hey, Charlie Hustle, if you want to sponsor Cocaine Willie, you know, go ahead. How you th- how do you think I feel? I'm uh, that that's not even a thought over here in Ohio. <laughs> not even remotely but, a thought. If I go to if I end up going into Charlie Hustle ever again, and I see a jacket, I'll let you guys know and I'll send it out. How about that? Fire it up, baby. We'll fight for it. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Thanks, Flando. Well, yeah, thanks, Flando. 
Last thing that I think we have for tonight is Bob's locks last week were Mizzou at Florida. Mizzou to cover 10 and a half, and that one hit. Uh, Mizzou did not get the win, but that 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 hit. They covered the spread in what was definitely a slobber knocker of a game there. Um, Tech at Oklahoma State in the Dust Bowl, the red dirt rivalry, whatever the hell you want to call it. I took Oklahoma State minus nine and a half to cover. I got really lucky with that line because uh, another guy that I know who I played in the concert with on Saturday, he got it at minus 10, and that was a push for him. So I got super lucky on that one. That one hit. The other two, not so much, not such good luck. Uh, K-State at Iowa State, I took K-State minus two and a half to cover. That one missed um, narrowly, arguably, with the, with the Malik Mills fumble. Line, but, oh, that man. late line, that late line got down to like like one, maybe even one a pick on that late line. Yeah, they are they are a lot smarter than I give them credit for sometimes. And and it shows in some of my picks. But uh, that one did not hit that one missed. And then the second one that didn't hit was BYU versus Notre Dame in Vegas. That was BYU plus three and a half. I took them as underdogs to cover and that one missed. I really didn't get to see the score of that one. I just know that Notre Dame won. I yeah. tried to tell you, baby. I tried to tell you. I you told tried. you BYU was taught playing like dog shit. And and, and they they are. They are. Officially, they, yeah. The alternate uniforms didn't help. They've got alternates nope. again this week. Who knows what the hell's going to happen. Maybe they've got an alternate uniform curse like the cats do uh, for makes, all we know. It makes me not scared of Baylor anymore either, by the way. Oh God. Yeah. That, that changes things completely. I think for Baylor, uh, we can talk transitive property all we want there, but, uh, that leads me into my next pick for, for Bob's locks for, I guess this is week seven, week eight, whatever week it is now. Um, I think it's week seven. I've got Baylor at West Virginia with Baylor minus three and a half to cover. Um, I just, again, I'm not super scared of Baylor. This is a really this is a really small spread. And I think if you would have told us last year that Baylor would be minus three and a half against West Virginia, we would have told you you were crazy. I think at the beginning of this season, we would have told you you were crazy. But West Virginia, I mean, they they got pretty much dominated by Texas a few weeks back. I feel like Texas and Baylor right now, I, Texas is definitely ahead of Baylor right now. But I think they're pretty on par with each other, and I think that Baylor is good enough to where they're gonna they're gonna have a, a higher margin of victory than three and a half against West Virginia. Um, I saw a couple people come off mute there, so feel free to get your takes in and shots at me if you want. Uh, I was I just don't know how to feel about West Virginia. I feel I don't know. I'm just I just hate the thought of playing at West Virginia because I feel like we as Cat fans have seen the most winnable games against West Virginia at West Virginia just slip away and just die. Obviously, I think we might have broken that curse. I, I, I sure hope so. I just feel like no matter what, West Virginia is always a pain in the ass game. I feel like all the, the remaining part of our schedule is just going to be insane. Yeah, and to your point, I mean, Morgantown is a tough place to play. They really don't have, like, a rival in the Big 12. They pretty much show out for pretty much anybody who's walking in there. Uh, I think I heard on 1012 podcast recently, like, 
West Virginia is almost kind of like an SEC environment in some ways where the fans don't really care. It doesn't matter how good or bad they are. They're going to show up. They're going to show out. It's going to be a raucous environment. It's like walking in to like Mississippi State or, or you know, one of those. Or Nebraska, those you could say. Uh, I mean, credit to Nebraska for them for having, you know, sellouts in every single game dating back to like the 60s also, or something. But. We're selling out every game this year, it sounds like. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. I think, I think you're definitely right about that, but, but that's my first lock of the week. Um, the next two, they're money line picks. The first one, Iowa state at UT. I've got UT money line. I don't like 14 points. I think that's too many points. That scares me. I think Iowa state's defense is going to do a good enough job to kind of lock down what Texas is able to do offensively. And so I wasn't about to touch the spread there, but I do think Texas is going to squeak it out against Iowa state at home in, in at DKR. So I'm taking Texas money line there. And then the next one, I'm also going to take KU at OU. I know there's some question marks with Jalen Daniels. We don't know what the hell is going on there. We don't know if he's playing. We don't know if he's questionable. We don't know if he's out for six weeks or whatever the hell is happening. So I'm going with KU Moneyline because OU is officially the worst team in the Big 12, and Kansas is not the worst team in the Big 12. I I could not disagree more with this Moneyline pick. Uh, if Dylan Gabriel plays, which is sounding like he's trending towards playing, OU is going to absolutely slaughter KU. I'm, I'm, I am predicting that, and that is my money lock, and that is my anti Bob lock. Is look, OU, OU, they have to figure out at some point. They, you they, gotta, they will. They will. You got to think back to last year, though. Think back to last year in that game that KU had against Oklahoma, where it was way too close for comfort for Oklahoma. And guess who started at quarterback in that game? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they, I mean, if you watch that game, Caleb Williams probably took a nap in the second quarter and he didn't even play. Like, And you know who's they, a better quarterback than Dylan Gabriel? Caleb Williams. Yeah, but they're also at home this time, not having to go to this foggy Norman at 11 a.m. I think they're going to absolutely smoke. KU. I don't I, here's here's my thought process here. I think that fucking redneck ass, hick ass dude <laughs> that had the Michelob Ultra in the K-State football video, I think he is the next Steve Bartman and I think that he broke Oklahoma. He he is the next curse for Oklahoma football. Not that they've ever had a curse before, but I think that might be the next big curse in college football is they're they're leaving for the or, SEC. Please. Lincoln ain't Lincoln ain't here boomer. anymore. Dude, We're back. There's, I, I'm going to give you a little peek behind what I do uh, during the day. And I don't want to get too long into this because we're already at an hour and a half. But I walk and deliver mail every day and I listen to podcasts. And my ultimate joy is finding every podcast that I can find on teams that lost in the Big 12 and just listen to their fans and just absorb their tears. And the OU, there is so many Oklahoma podcasts out there with them having three straight weeks of losses. And it is so funny that they they're they can't take it. And the reality that they're coming to that this might be the last year that they can 
live in the Big 12 and that they're going to get absolutely smashed every week in the SEC is just so funny to me. I love it, and that's my pastime. I mean, the thing the thing about the SEC move for both OU and Texas is I think a year ago when this happened, everybody was kind of of the mindset that, like, Texas would probably be the bottom dollar because Oklahoma was the one that was kicking ass, taking names, leads, I think, all time of all college football teams and conference championships from their days in the Big 8, the Big 12, and, and now they're going to the SEC. And I think, like – Feel free to chime in here, everybody, but I think Texas is going to be the team that's probably going to do better at this point, and Oklahoma might be the one that ends up being a mid- to bottom-tier team in the SEC. I agree. Um, I Not to think that Archie Manning, five, six-star recruit, is going to save everything, but um, the way that Texas has kind of improved this year and how Oklahoma has just fallen off a cliff um, it's hard not to say that the trajectory, you know, fades towards Texas. Um, are we at Texas's back? No, but they're there. They're getting close. They're definitely getting close. Uh, I've got two more picks and then, uh, I mean, I guess we could open it up to guys talking ball if we really want to. Um, I, I would love to talk about uh, the SEC there, but Okie State at TCU. I've got Oklahoma State money line. I just think Oklahoma State's the better team here. TCU, I just I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet. They beat Oklahoma. We all know that Oklahoma at this point is now mid to bottom tier team. They beat KU in a very close matchup. Like that was a very fun game to watch. It was way more fun to watch in Red River. So I just I haven't quite seen it yet from TCU. And I'm happy to be proven wrong here if they put up and they show out against Oklahoma State, but I'm taking TCU here. And then the last one that I have is I've got our good our good friends, the the corn the corn suckers up in uh, Nebraska against Purdue. I've got them to cover at Purdue, and I'm just gonna leave it at that. Ooh, oh whore! <laughs> I have a hey. I'm gonna add two locks. Two. I locks. have a question after Matt yeah. goes with his locks. Fireball Matt's locks fired up. USC is a three and a half point dog in Salt Lake City against Utah this weekend. They will cover. Michigan is a seven point touchdown favorite over Penn State. And I know my buddy Steve Skojic, who went to Penn State, he will never listen to this. But Penn State sucks. Michigan's going to cover and probably win by two touchdowns. The USC one, that is a that is a good call there. That but it's like that USC one. It's it's one of those spreads where you're just like, what the fuck does Vegas know? Like, why there should be no reason Utah's favored in that. It's like, because Utah. Know? It's because Utah has seen the stats and they're going to run nothing but zone. And Caleb Williams is going to throw multiple picks in this game. I'm get, I'm chalking it up that Utah is going to have multiple interceptions and they're going to keep that shit really really close. And if their quarterback What's his name? Rising, if he or not rising, uh, rising or something like rising, that. Rising, rising. If right, rising. If he can, if he can finally get his head out of his ass and not play like how he did versus U, UCLA, they're going to be in it because their defense is going to force Caleb. Because he's, I think they said it statistically, he is the worst quarterback throwing into zones. 
Definitely. Well, Chef, would you take Utah to cover then? Or money line? I, I would – they're going to keep it close. I, it's three and a half, you said? Three and a half. And Utah's USC's dogs. Oh, USC's Is it a dog. night game in Woo! Utah? Uh, I do I believe would, it is a night game. I would say that Utah, I, Utah, co- Utah covers. Utah covers. Wow. 7 p.m. Oh, it's a well, it's a uh, 6 p.m. game their time. So yeah, night game. So nine nine o'clock here, nine o'clock Eastern. Ooh. I'm I'm Utah covers. Maya, Maya, quick. Wow. My quick question for y'all. So obviously we have a bye this week, and then we get TCU at home, and then Oklahoma State the following. Or I'm sorry, we get TCU on the road after this weekend, and then Oklahoma State at home. Would you rather face on the road at TCU after they lose to Oklahoma State, or would you rather face them if they beat Oklahoma State and then face a defeated Oklahoma State the following weekend? Or would you rather have Oklahoma State win and then we face an undefeated Oklahoma State if we happen to beat TCU? Cole, you don't even know. You don't even know, Cole. Dude, Cole, Cole, it's like you read the outline and you were on the group chat with with Chef and I and Matt before before the show because this is what we had teed up for guys talking. Yeah, it's so funny. So, you know, we think alike. We you think don't alike, even man. know, Cole. <laughs> that's, it's like that's it's amazing. like you're the only one that's been on every single one of these live shows, with the exception hey, of the three. I'm, of lear- us, I'm so. learning from the best, you know. I mean, this is a great question. I think I think. I, I don't know yet. I need a I need a noodle on it first. If anybody else wants to chime in, go uh, ahead. Oh, I've, uh, no, Matt, go ahead. Matt, go ahead. Matt, go ahead. Uh, you know, fireball, I, Matt. Fireball, Matt. <laughs> Out of the two teams, I think TCU is as of right now, the most beatable team, no matter if they win or lose this upcoming weekend. So I am more of the, I want to see Oklahoma state undefeated when they come to Manhattan. Um, because I do think that TCU is just a team that we, we can match up against no matter if they win this weekend or if they lose. Um, and I would love to just see – I would love to have an Oklahoma State team that's undefeated come to Manhattan, no question. Uh, the real question for the thing was brought up because I I heard multiple stories about where game day could be in a couple weeks. And I had the – I had a, uh epiphany and that it could possibly be in Manhattan. If Oklahoma State is undefeated after beating TCU – or yeah, after beating TCU, then they beat Texas and we beat TCU and we play Oklahoma. Like, I mean, Oklahoma state, that could be one of the big, I mean, it would, if they're undefeated, they're already what eight or six in the AP, they would be top five. I would imagine that they would have to be top five. And then we'll be climbing close to top 10 if not close to top 12, and that would be an absolute huge mass matchup, and it would basically give that team the heads-on favorite to win the Big 12. So 
my thinking is that it would be in Manhattan. And the games that week are not that, like, impressive. I think maybe Ohio State, Penn State would be a tough one to pass up on. But game day could possibly be in Manhattan, and which would be absolutely huge. Ohio State, Penn State, I believe that weekend is their white game. Their white. Yeah, out. but you know that's that you're talking Fox territory, and they don't like Fox and game day. Don't usually like to be in the same places at the same time. So they that's Fox territory written all over big. Fox game, whatever morning kickoff, whatever they call it. Yeah, that that's shit. a morning kickoff already, right? Like they already scheduled that as like the big noon kickoff. They haven't announced th- it yet. Uh, well, I, I would imagine I I that it somewhere. Would be, I would imagine that it would be because they've already done Michigan forty-seven times this season. So I think them staying in Big Ten country for that game would be huge, and I think game day could pick a Big Twelve team. Namely the cats. I guess we would know Monday, right? Yeah, I think so. It will. Oh, yeah. After after this week, after this week. Yeah, you're right. So if wait, if Oklahoma State wins this weekend, I am going to bet that we are a 7 p.m. kick on ABC. I'm going there. Hold on. What did you say? I'm I'm so confused (laughs) right now. Wait, yeah. So we we wouldn't find out game day until the Monday after the after TCU we play game. TCU. Oh, right. right. Yeah. That's what he said. That's what he said. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what did yeah. you yeah. What did you say t- the time would be? So we'll be a night game, like a 7 p.m. kick on ABC. We'll be. Oh. I feel like we always play oh. Oklahoma State on ABC. Always. Yeah. Well, but I mean, oh, the night game, ABC. Who is that? Who calls ABC those games? has is awesome that, cameras. Like Fowler and Herb Street. Oh, yes. Love it. Spooky. Oh, also, I mean, this, this has, the, this has the potential right? to be. Yeah, it's the 28th or 10th. Yeah, right. it'll be the 29th. Oh, yeah. spooky. Oh, my God. Yeah, We're color talking color. about some wild <laughs> shit right now. I love it. That would yeah. be insane. And that, I mean, it's just, just think of it. The cats wearing their purple. The Oklahoma State's going to probably do all white. Maybe maybe orange a helmet, white, white jersey. A little pumpkin, cow- pumpkin hats. Ah! Yeah, pumpkin heads. Oh, man. I mean, it's... Dude, the bill would be... I mean, this has the potential ever. to be the biggest... Yeah, this has the potential to be the biggest matchup later in the season for K-State in a really long time. Yeah, I mean... The, I mean, the only thing that could throw a monkey rich in this whole thing is if... Oklahoma State, I mean, this is what I'm thinking. Oklahoma State loses to TCU. We beat TCU. Oklahoma State loses to Texas. But then Texas would be going in hot. And they and come then we've to got the game against Texas. Yeah. Yeah, I know. They're going to be there. I'm just, oh, I'm just man. thinking I'm of all the Texas di- game. I'm, so I'm thinking excited. of all the different outcomes because they come to Manhattan, too. And I mean, shit, Texas, we can have game day that Texas weekend, too. Right. I mean, they would already be – piping up texas so freaking much and it would basically come down to that because tcu would have a loss oh here's the man I'm here's just, the kicker so monday we will have a really good indication if we are in the running for game day if they do put us at 7 p.m and they put it on abc now i know that's not a guarantee like we've seen no. but yeah. 
if they did that, that would be the little thing that kind of says, okay, they're actually thinking about it. Yeah. Also, what like that blew my mind when you know they had called game day at Lawrence, and then I just didn't pay attention. It's like, oh, they have college game day in Lawrence, but the it's gonna be on FS1. Like that was the most what the fuck thing ever. But also, I want to answer the initial question. Um, I would rather, like Matt said, I'd rather play TCU if they. I'd rather face. TCU if they lose this weekend. I'd rather have TCU with a loss playing at TCU because we don't know, like, you don't know how teams are going to be affected by a loss. You know, similar with case, I mean, K-State, you know, in the past with underclimbing, we get a loss, those usually come in bunches. But I think we kind of broke that streak when we beat Tulsa, or when we lost to Tulane, we came out and we've won three straight since that loss. So I think we kind of broke that. I and love the Tulsa slip, a, though. <laughs> my bad. This is, uh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, the, new the, head- bask- the hoops talk is bleeding into the football talk. <laughs> this is a new head coach at TCU, so who knows how that team's going to react after a loss. Like, it might just defeat them after a loss. And so I'd rather face a 6-5 shit, 6-1. That'll be a 6-1 TCU team. Right? Yeah, I think so. Five and one. I'd rather face a five and one TC team next weekend and then an undefeated, hopefully undefe- or, yeah, undefeated Oklahoma State team at a six and one K State team. I would, but the thing, I don't think a loss would devastate TCU. What would hurt was if they lose and Chandler Morris gets healthy. If Chandler Morris gets healthy, I don't know if he's out for the season or not, but the backup if he TV? gets healthy. He wasn't the backup at the beginning of well, the season. They're not going to change. They're not going to take Duggan out of his starting spot now. That'd be ass. But listen, if, they if, might. That'd be they might. If they lose, if they lose and he Is this plays serious bad, talk? yeah, he beat he beat Duggan outright clear. Duggan six games in and undefeated. Why would they take him out right dude, now, dude? Chandler Chandler Morris was originally an OU recruit and went to Oklahoma and transferred to TCU. And he is objectively talent-wise, he's objectively better than Max Duggan. Plus, we know what we're getting with Max Duggan. We've played him, what, like three or four times now? Like, we know what we're getting with Max Duggan. And with Chandler Morris, that would be kind of our Achilles heel going into that game, I think, because we've never seen him. No, play, no, no. There's we've, really we've not played, a whole lot of – We played him. We played him, him, like played him last year. Half. We played him oh. last year, and that's the, the okay. Felix sack games – was yeah. Chandler, Chandler Morris. But my but my thing That's is right. this is this is what this is my whole thinking of it. He's been basically perfect for TCU this so far. And Chandler Morris isn't healthy. That's the only reason that Duggan even went into the game. If Sonny Dykes loves Chandler Morris, he's the future of TCU football right now. He's only a, like a redshirt freshman. I mean uh Richard freshman or a redshirt sophomore? Did, and, uh, did he get an injury or a what's that called? Uh, a medical redshirt? No, medical redshirt. No, no. But he he was a freshman at Oklahoma, transferred. That was his redshirt season. Last year was his. Okay, so he's a redshirt sophomore. He's the future. This is Duggan's seventh fucking year with TCU. He doesn't he doesn't care about him. He wants Chandler Morris to be on the field. He. 
because he's the future of TCU. If he's healthy, he wants to give him the opportunity, especially if Duggan, this is what my whole theory was, that if Duggan plays bad in a, a loss to Oklahoma State and Chandler Morris is healthy, then that's when we would that's when you would see that would be more devastating to the team but, than oh, than wait. just a lo- just a plain loss to Oklahoma State with no quarterback controversy. But if there's a quarterback controversy okay. plus a loss is okay. what I was saying would be more detrimental to TCU. I, right, I kind of like I where think, you're going with that. I think that would be more devastating. I thought you were initially saying like that would hurt Casey. No, 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 no. I'm not. No, I was going to say midway through the season, you're changing quarterbacks entirely. Like that's going to cause issues. No, I think it would cause issues. All the guys are going to believe in all the guys are going to believe Duggan at this point. Like all his teammates, like they believe in him. Why? They have no reason not to. Maybe, but you know, and uh, and, and like communication and timing and snap. Their defense is overrated as shit, too. I'm not worried about. I'm more worried about. I would be. If that game is game day and I'm calling off that weekend, I'm calling off that weekend if it's game day. Uh, don't I don't care what time the game is. I, I'm going to be so anxious for that. I'm so nervous for that game if they're undefeated. <laughs> tell me your girls are sick. There's no, I would just say I'm not coming into work. I don't care. It's You know what, today, you know what today is? K-State has got game day. God damn it. <laughs> Yeah, Morris is a redshirt freshman. He redshirted last year. He was a freshman at Oklahoma in 2020, and I think he gets the COVID extra year too. So he's technically still a redshirt freshman. Right. So that's why I think Sonny Dykes wants to give him every opportunity if he's healthy. I don't know what his injury status is. I could be just talking crazy right now, and it makes no sense what I'm even saying. But what I'm saying is if there is a quarterback controversy – and a loss to Oklahoma State, I think that hurts TCU more than just a regular loss, which would be a benefit to K-State. Okay, I want to go back to the game day conversation. Um, Please get us because, back on the tri- on on the rails. We're going <laughs> off crazy. If Oklahoma State wins next weekend, or yeah, against TCU this weekend, they'll have Texas next weekend. I see that being a game day, so I don't know if they go back to K-State OSU the weekend after that. I'd have to look at the games for what's next week. Because otherwise it's UCLA, Oregon, Clemson, Syracuse. I mean, the storylines with Chip Kelly going going and playing against his old team as a top 25 team, that could be pretty, that could also, be pretty compelling. Also, what the whole the, – the whole se- I've listened to a lot of – ESPN talk and what game day's mission plan is for this year is they wanted to get, there was like six teams that's never had game day um, for football. KU is one of them and Syracuse is another one. They're undefeated. If they win, it's at Syracuse. I think they would go to Is that Clemson? Oh, I'm an idiot then. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe you're right. God, I would hate for them to go Oklahoma State, Texas. That would that would I mean, put I, a little. Uh, you could go Alabama, Mississippi State, but they're just at Tennessee, Alabama this week, so I don't see that happening two God weeks in a row. Damn it! You, try not to Alex, and they were at T- they were at Tennessee like two weeks ago. Alex not is, Alex is talking weeks. facts, and it's hurting me right now. You're killing me, Alex. It might almost be better if TCU wins because then you're going to have probably a, 
us in the top 15 and TCU in the top 10. And it also elevates us to probably Fox versus FS1 for the night game because if TCU loses, I think it's going to be FS1 for that mm-hmm. game. And also Alex is a lawyer. So like, yeah, he's going to be talking facts. Gosh, lawyered. Ugh, I'm Drop hurt right now light. because that I, I know that one hurts. Guys well, talking ball. Is Penn State's going to lose to Michigan. Big You're shitting on our dreams, Alex. Uh, I know, I know, I know. Trust me, I'm trying not to, but uh, Penn State's going to get killed by Michigan this week, so game day's not going to want to go to uh, Ohio State, uh, Penn State. I doubt it once they get destroyed by Michigan this weekend. Uh, so I see that being more likely Tennessee, Kentucky. Um, or you Kentucky go Syracuse. is but. They've also oh. got Syracuse Notre Dame this year that same weekend as K-State OSU. So oh, then they're gonna go if Syracuse wins, they're gonna go Syracuse Notre Dame. Yeah. Because Notre Dame will be rolling by that point. We almost better off to have TCU win and hope game day picks us next week. But it's in over. Fort Worth. I don't care. I want it in Manhattan. I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I'm just saying if we want game day, if we want that exposure, I think our best luck is to have that as compared to Oklahoma State. The exposure for the road team, for whatever, the the exposure for the road team is nothing. It it it's nothing. I was gonna say, for whatever it's worth, I feel like they do a pretty decent job of covering both teams. I don't know. Yeah, they'll usually have a story for each team. Like they'll have. Little, like, you know that their piece little, is going to be on Adrian Martinez transferring from Nebraska and all the right. trials and tribulations he had at Nebraska, and now he's Absolutely. winning. And you know that that's going to be a story. And then they're going to talk and about Chris how Chris Kleiman won seven national championships, yep. and now he's competing for a Big 12. Yeah, like, we already know what the storylines are going to be. But I do feel like there's going to be a decent amount of coverage. We know that for TCU, it's going to be, oh, well, they – they elevated themselves from a G5 conference, and now they're competing for championships. And Sonny Dykes was a shitty coach at Cal, and now he's good. And they're going to because also, transfers. They're also going to bring up how we don't turn the ball over. We we have always a good defense. We always have dual threat oh, quarterbacks. Ball. It's still uh, Snyder ball. Baby. We don't. We don't. We don't. We don't get penalties. Like it's going to be the same like story that we've heard. We run the play clock down years. to zero on every snap. We only run thirty plays a game. Yeah, they're not even <laughs> to pay attention. They're not even know, have a clue of like the fast. Not I shouldn't say like fast. Or, oh my, I trying to say we're obviously not like fucking air raid snapping the ball every ten seconds, but. Yeah, no, they're going to keep the same story. They're just not having a clue that our offense is a little bit different. Oh, you know, All they're right, going to well, talk about, like, the Gene, the Gene Wachowski or whatever his name is. He's going to have a piece on Colin Gene Klein and the Heisman run. <laughs> <laughs> the Colin Klein, the Heisman run, Manti Teo, Johnny Manziel. They're, they're going to have, like, the whole piece on that and how he's an offensive coordinator now. And it's just like well, you already whatever. know what all the storylines are going to be. Well, let's just cut out the part where Alex was talking facts when you do the editing. Just cut that part out, and we'll say it's going to be at at Manhattan for the Oklahoma State game. Man, I hope you're right. I hope and you're Desmond right. Howard or, and Bear are going to pick against K State because they both hate K State. But hey, we are. I think we're undefeated every time that Desmond has uh, picked against us. So I was, far this season. I was honestly going to look that go up at it. some point. So I noticed that too. Every time he picks against K State, we win. I'll take so, it. So yeah, go. I'll let take it. Being, Please pick. Let, 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 let. Please pick the other team. Please pick the other team every time. 
Um, anybody else have anything else? I think we're, we're about ready to, to wrap this up unless anybody has any other final comments they want to get in. Uh, yeah. So man, I just talking about game day is fun and cause it's a fun event, but it got me thinking about once we expand the playoff, we would be talking right now about playoff games at home on our campus. Like we'd be talking, about, Oh, can we, oh, really get baby. like this conversation right now, be like talking about can we get a playoff game on our campus and what the atmosphere would be like? Like Dude. it is awesome. It's fun, but like, holy shit. Would that that would be fucking well, well, they're also, aren't they also talking about maybe not doing on campus playoff if they expand? Because the bowls are, the bowls have sticks up their ass and the Rose bowl is just fucking annoying about oh, shit like more that. They want the tradition bullshit? and the pageantry. And, Imagine that. Oh, we want to have our we want to have our bowl game at our decrepit hundred thousand year old stadium that doesn't have fucking like working plumbing. That never anymore. even brings fans on a weekly basis at all. Isn't doesn't UCLA the, play Rose, the Rose Bowl? Bowl? The Rose Bowl is just David yeah. Booth Memorial Stadium in Lawrence with a little bit more seats. Uh, fucking oh my god, <laughs> I'm mad. Hey, what Will said, I mean, is totally truth like we're going to be talking like if we have a season like this in the future we're going to be talking about playoffs and stuff like that but speaking of this season i know we're about to get out of here if the season is as magical as we think it's going to be let's say let's say for instance we run the table will tulane go down at let let's is tulane going to be the most regrettable loss in k-state history Yes. Not even close. Baylor. I mean, look, Tulane right now is four and one in their conference. If they can close out and last week uh, they have a matchup against Cincy is the last one going into conference. So if they're winning, uh, there will be talk about them, but it'll be almost positive by association. They'll go like, holy shit, Tulane's actually good this year. Oh, my God. Think about about the playoff. Think about if there is a 12-team playoff this season, right? We could be playing Tulane again in a second matchup because they would be potentially (laughs) the winner of the AAC. Revenge season, baby. Like, like that. Oh my god! They played Cincy in the last game of their season, so they're on a collision course. It's just, it's just wild to me that 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 is a really, really great point, Will, because like things are going to change pretty drastically once we have the twelve team playoff, and and. I, I, I understand Scott's point from Bosco's boys of he he I, does, he doesn't like the playoff he doesn't like the expansion component from my perspective what? I th- I think it I think it it adds more value I think it adds more value to the Dumb. regular season because more teams have an opportunity to get there whereas now you only have four teams that even have a chance and there's it's a three same teams every year every. Out of, and it's going to be primarily from two conferences. It's going to primarily be from the Big Ten and the SEC. Tie-ins makes the regular season important Absolutely. because it, it values success Absolutely. in the regular season. Absolutely. Right now, Alabama can lose in the regular season to make it in, and a team could lose their first game, and then what? The regular season, all those other games just don't matter. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, wait we, we, don't, we don't go about – Yeah, we don't go about treating the NFL season like it doesn't matter. Like every single game matters in the NFL the same way that with the exception of like the last game of the season, if you're already you've already clinched the playoff berth. But I mean, that's not really going to happen in college because you're still going to be playing to get to that conference championship game. And that conference championship game is still going to matter for most teams. Um, 
I guess maybe the SEC, the second place team in the SEC is probably still going to get an at-large berth in most years, you would imagine. But it's still going to matter who wins that game for seeding purposes, if anything. I I get back to the same point that we've always talked about with expanding playoffs is that these kids already play uh, like, I don't know, if you make it to the national championship game, you're playing 14 games. games. Yeah, I mean, are you expecting these kids to play upwards of 17, 18 games a season? What is, the, what is, is that what we're what talking is the, about? What does FCS do? How many games are they? They're playing 12 regular season or 11? I don't think they play that much. They have to they? play at least 11 games. I think they play, yeah. I mean, let me let me just look here. If they make it to the championship game, how? what's their record at the end of the it season? It has to be... Like over 15 games. Let's just look at Chris Kleiman real quick because it's not like we've got a head coach who uh, and that's multiple if, teams to a okay, championship. If, it was he was 15 and one in the season when he first won the national championship. Yeah, in so it's if FCS so they're playing can 16 do it, games, can. 15 games in in some of and these, they have less play, they have less. Players. I don't know why it would be different. I don't know why it's different, but some of these say they played 15 games. Some of these play, say they played 16. Excuse me. So All I'm right. not sure why it's different. Maybe with buys or something. I don't know. but Yeah, that's a good call. That's a good call. I, I just I, I just don't see – because – How many schools – how many teams make playoffs in FCS? That's also a good question. Or how many rounds are – well, schools, I guess. Uh, shit, let's see here. Isn't it 16? I think well, that's 16. only even more games. So, like, and Chris Conn probably had a buy. Do they have? I'm assuming they have buys in the FCS playoff. So, if you were a team that was playing every round of the playoffs, like you're playing a hefty amount of games, and they have less scholarship players than D1 FCS. I guess FBS, that's true. Christ. I mean, I guess there's a model already there, but it just seems like that would be. Something that they would, I mean, there's the, 24 teams in the FCS. Jesus, playoffs. 24. What the fuck? So that's 12 on each side. So they take basically their top 25 and everybody gets a playoff spot. Right. But how many games do they play in the regular season? Because they play what, 11 regular season games. How many? Right. 11. Holy fuck. Yeah, Chef, we're good. The players can handle it. Okay. I apologize. I also point out that if you expand to 12 or 16, you start approaching the ratio of teams in the postseason to uh, college basketball, where there's 350 to 65, uh, I think 125 to 12 or 16. So about 10% of your teams make that. And I think the valuable thing in that is you offer a clear path where you can take out the human error, where if you win and you win your conference, you're in. There's no, oh, I think this team has the eye test better than this other team. Exactly. Win and you're in. I think that's a good number. That about ten percent ratio. The top ten percent making playoff is a good number to have, rather than the top three. The ACC commissioner wants to expand the basketball tournament for men's. Well, he's and women's. an idiot. Also, also the. I mean, isn't he is also the one who this is, fucked? Uh, Hold on, what? Or he, what did they say? Was it the ACC? And who were the the super the the. What three conference commissioners came together with this pack? Or no, the expansion. Who that was Pac-12? Well, expansion yeah. was or the, the alliance. No, the, no, 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 not the alliance. But who messed up the initial? Well, that uh, was that was oh, our good friend Bob yeah. Bowlesby and uh, Greg Sankey were on the initial expansion committee. 
last yeah. year. Yeah, until uh, the SEC kind of went behind. But hey, that SEC, keep in mind, anything you say about the SEC commissioner, he's the guy that wanted OU football in his conference. Look at that. <laughs> well, let's hold on. Back to this playoff expansion thing. What what's the timetable then? When does the FCS the FCS they finish win because we're creeping into because they I think they do start the season into, like oh, they start the season even I think like a week before week zero I think but they finish they finish around the same time because I remember when we hired when climbing. I was driving down well when I was driving down to the Cotton Bowl in 2011 I remember seeing fans from North Dakota State driving down. Because I think they were playing in Frisco, if I'm right. not mistaken. Yeah, because I think um, the, they were they were playing around the same time as the Cotton Bowl in 2011. So I remember it, it's around the same time that we have our last games of the season is when they have their championship. I think the FCS championship. North Dakota, State, North Dakota State's last regular season game is November 19th. Oh, what the fuck! Which is the weekend that we play uh, KU, right? And then their playoffs start. That's West that's Virginia. West Virginia, yeah. No, yeah, we, KU is the next weekend, and then yes. we have and, uh, Big but then they're pl- then the FCS playoffs start, and I'm assuming that they give them a week in between each game, so or or not. I don't I don't fucking know how it works, but it just seems like the the in the college football season is would drastically change on how long these guys are planning football um, games and they're still doing that. And that cuts into recruiting season because the guys that don't make the playoffs, they're out there recruiting, right? Or is the the dead period still the same and all that? So I just think that just, it just convolutes things. And I don't think they're prepared for that. So they, they start all the NCAA rules are the same across the board as far as all that stuff goes. Right. Yeah, but 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 once the season's over, the coaches are recruiting. And if there's a 12-team playoff, that's at least four more weeks of playoffs than there usually would be. And if your team's in it, you're not out there recruiting like like you would be. But the way the way it works, no, but isn't it just a good reason to have your team in the playoffs as it is to be making phone calls to people? That's yeah, good. I think they're probably doing just fine. If you're if you're in the playoffs, you just send your your recruit a streaming link to the game. That yeah, you just might have a little the recruiting slide speaks for one, itself. I think there. for a team like K State, you just might have a little little down year, I guess, in recruiting once every five. I don't know, whatever. How what team once every five to ten years? But yeah, I mean the way that the way that the playoff works is the the last week of the season. I'm looking at at the 2018 season, so when Kleiman his last year at North Dakota State. But that first round was November 24th. I think that was a I think the 17th would have been the last week of the regular season, and that's just play in rounds. So like everybody who is not part of the top eight is playing in to play one of the top eight seeds. And so that first week you get a first round bye if you're one of the top eight teams. Then you have the second round would be that next week. So the first week of December, which would be our conference championship week, I guess. And then quarterfinals, semifinals, and then national championship. But there's a decent amount of time in between that semifinal and the national championship. I think semifinals were December 14th and 15th in 2018. And then the finals were January 5th. So there's a decent amount of time in between those last two games, but I think all of that is to say there there are ways to work around it, and it's probably eliminating 
one or one or two non-conference games from the schedule at some point. But I mean, I, I think, I think 12 is a good sweet spot. I think a 12 team playoff is a good sweet spot for FBS because you're, you're not having to really shift or change the existing regular season all that much. You're not having to worry about, you know, what I'm seeing here is one, two, three, four, five rounds of playoffs. In in this case, I think you're going to have at most three rounds of playoffs. So I, I think this is a much better model for what FBS has, and and it's not going to be trying to put a square peg in a round hole type of thing. Yeah, man, K-State playoffs. I'm dreaming. So am I. And I've got a Avery Johnson season, baby. Dude, Avery put up numbers last week against Derby and and a recruit that will not be named, but I, you know, I've got a lot of editing to do. I've got an abs uh, abs game to watch here as as the abs are playing the Blackhawks in the first game of the season, raising the Stanley Cup banner. Go abs! But I'm I'm gonna go ahead and call it. You know, I appreciated a lot of friendly banter tonight. We just made it over two hours, so that's wonderful. I'm gonna be up until at least probably 1130 or midnight tonight, but look for all of us here, cocaine Willie and and everybody in the live room. Thanks for listening in and contributing for everybody on the podcast feed. Who's listening. Thank you as well. Next week, we're going to have Parker Fleming at stats of war is teed up uh, to talk TCU in that preview. And then the following week, we're going to have Philip Slavin from the 1012 network for Oklahoma state preview the following week. So, so stay tuned. We're still trying to work on a Texas preview. And then I think the following week is Baylor. So we're going to have some guests lined up for those. Don't have anybody locked down yet, but stay tuned to the feed. Give us a follow on Spotify at Cocaine Willie uh, for new episodes as they drop. And if you're on Twitter, give us a follow at Cocaine Willie as well, or follow us individually. I'm at Bob Trollsby. Uh, the good chef is at Chef Andre Napier. And Fireball Matt is at Matt Marchesini. Chef. Cocaine's a hell of a drug, baby. We're all coke and no joke. Wildcat country? Let's ride. Let's ride.